At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We live in a world full of information, literally at our fingertips. Among all the claims of truth in the world, it can be hard to separate fact from fiction. This is often the case when it comes to the Christian faith. Do we understand the truth of what we believe, and can we articulate it to others? In The Essentials, Why Truth Matters, we'll use the affirmations of the Apostles' Creed as a guide to teaching us the core doctrines of the Christian faith. Join us each week as we affirm the foundational truths of Christianity so we can stand on the bedrock of God's truth and share that good news with the world. A bit more. Hallelujah. I've been in a lot of churches, and I love churches that cheer when people get baptized, right? That's it. I just love it. Sometimes, I, like, I, I went to a church one time, and they sort of sat there, and I was like, we're not, we're not going to cheer? Like, this is so exciting. And especially to see young people that have a full life of serving the Lord ahead of them. Hallelujah. So let's give God praise just one more time, friends. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm really glad to be with you here again as we start a new sermon series here at Woodside Bible Church. If uh, we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Ryan. I serve as our pastor of short-term missions out of our Troy campus, um, but I'm on the teaching team, so I'm grateful to be here with you uh, again. Uh, if you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and turn right away to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to jump uh, right into it. Uh, but as we start this new sermon series, uh, it's called The Essentials, right? Uh, the Essentials, and the subtitle is Why Truth Matters. And it's super important to have an answer to that question of why truth matters. If we don't have an answer, I feel like we can be sort of left lost and wandering. But I think before we ask the question why truth matters, we need to ask some other questions like what is truth? Who gets to define truth? And I know you may think these are silly questions. You're sitting in a church, and I think that you may already have an answer kind of carved out in your mind. But it's so important that we dive deep into this to have an answer for ourselves. I love what this young man said of making faith my own. It's my own faith now because he's come to a recognition and a profession of the truth for himself. So what is truth? Who gets to define truth? Is it my truth? Is it your truth? Is it his truth or her truth? Is it a Dr. Seuss book about truth, right? And do we just live our own truth or do thine own self, do we be true, right? The secular creed of the day. These are obviously questions that hopefully you've asked for yourself, but millions of people have asked over the years and generation after generation, whether they be philosophers, artists, pastors, preachers, sons, daughters, mothers, fathers, teachers, politicians even sometimes ask uh, things that are true. That's a joke. You can laugh. It's okay. It wasn't a great one, but you're allowed to laugh. I, a little bit of interaction would be great today, even though I did bring my own amens and hallelujahs, so I'm, I'm ready to go. Uh, but what is truth? It's a question we have to have an answer to, and it's a question everybody asks at some point. The problem is, today, in our culture, in our society, uh, we are encouraged to curate and live our own version of the truth, right? How many of you ever heard somebody say, live your truth, right, just by a show of hands? How many of you ever uh, heard somebody say, to thine own self be true? Anybody, maybe you've read that in a book or you've dated yourself just now, that that was a thing that people used to say, that the translation is now live your truth, right? But we're encouraged, we're celebrated to do that, so with that we create our own versions of the truth and that's how we live our life. Not only that, we live in an age of misinformation and disinformation, right? There is an enemy of our souls, Satan, who doesn't want us to know the truth and tries to trick and confuse and divide and deceive believers from what might actually be true. So kind of with this framework in place, we have to ask the questions, how do we know what is true? 
does it even matter? Like, does it matter that something is true or not for me or for you or universally? And then to quote Francis Schaeffer, how should we then live because of that? Like I said, today we're starting this new sermon series called The Essentials, and we're going to look at why truth matters. And to do that, we're going to reach um, back in time to 340 AD and a little bit closer, reach into your bulletin. You got an insert with the Apostles' Creed in here. So the Apostles' Creed is an age-old creed. Again, probably not written by the apostles themselves, but uh, it's credited as being written in 340 AD. And this is something that the church has used for years and years, for generations, to affirm that which is true, to find the truth of the scriptures, right? The creed is not truer than the scriptures. Everyone say amen. Amen. All right. But the creed helps to outline truth that is in the scriptures because in the first century, not everybody had a copy of the Bible bound in leather like we do. If you could afford it, uh, then you would have it. But many people weren't even literate. So the Apostles' Creed has been used, again, for ages as a discipleship rubric for Christians to say these are the things that we affirm and believe and count as the essential teachings of Christianity. So as we look at this over the next many, many weeks, we're going to be affirming this. We're going to be affirming these truths found scripturally again. The creed is not more important than scriptures. Hallelujah. Right? Scripture is important. Tradition is important. But tradition is only important because scripture is important. So in this series, we're going to affirm these things. But we're also going to fight a little bit. We're going to work against some of the disinformation and misinformation campaigns that are out there. Some of the campaigns of the culture, whether whoever is the author of them, ultimately, uh, I think I preached this last time I was here, any... Um, thing that goes against God's word, the author is the same author. It's Satan, right? Satan is the one who has been authoring misconceptions about the truth since the beginning, but we're going to kind of fight against that a little bit as we learn in our heads and in our hearts about how this creed ought to be applied to our lives and our hearts. Now, the first thing we're going to look at today is really just the first phrase of the creed, and I want us all to say it together. The first phrase is simple. I believe in God. Let's say it together. I believe in in God. Amen. I'm done, right? We all did it. We did everything that we needed to have done here today. But we're just going to look at this today. And again, I, I want to encourage you, don't, don't hang up on me just yet. You may think like, I'm at a church. I'm at a Woodside Bible Church campus. Clearly, I believe in God. I, I don't hang up just yet. Pay close attention to what belief in God may actually look like and what the scriptures say belief in God looks like and how that may be fleshed out in our lives. Because a lot of people would say they believe in God, right? A recent Gallup poll said that 81% of Americans would say they believe in God. Do you think 81% of Americans are following Jesus Christ faithfully? Right? And, and that may sound like a big number, right? You're like, 81%? That's not bad. I thought it would be way lower than that. But when you consider that in just two generations, 81% has dropped down 17% from 98%. Two generations ago, 98% of Americans would say they believe in God. So I, again, I think that if we don't look carefully at this, we can all too easily sort of discard this as, yeah, that's, that's just something that, uh, of course, I believe in and isn't that big of a deal. But if you look at this statistical drop, you look at these percentages, you look at the war for truth that is waging culturally, globally, then I think that we may know we've got something to pay attention to, that there's this war that has seemingly gained some cultural ground with the phrase that God isn't as relevant as you might think. I think that's what's going on in our culture today, that many people are asking the question, is God relevant? Is God right? Is God true? Does this even matter? And even if I don't like it, do I have to pay attention to it? Because truth is seemingly becoming less important. I don't know if this is happening in your life, but in my circle, I hear people say pretty regularly, like, uh, it doesn't even matter if it's true. I don't like how it feels, right? That may be true, but I don't like it, so I'm going to live my life according to what feels good and what I like. The culture says this, 
but the scriptures speak something differently. Hallelujah. Instead of calling us to be progressive or modern in our estimations of who God is or what he's like, the scriptures call us back into something. That's why we're going back to 340 AD. That's why we're going back to into eternity past to look at the word of God to establish our foundation of truth. Why? Because our big idea says that we need to, right? Believing in God is essential to possessing truth. Belief in God is essential to possessing truth. Now, we're going to look at three ways why that big idea uh, might be right for us today. So everybody have your Bible open to Hebrews chapter 11. Say amen if you do. Say amen if you're not going to respond to me no matter what questions I ask. All right, we're all covered. Let me pray for us as we go to God's word. Father, we love you and thank you. We trust you. I thank you for this incredible, immeasurable gift of your sacred scriptures that we get to look at today, that we get to examine and try for ourselves to see if we believe it to be true. So we pray in Jesus' name, Holy Spirit of the living God, that you would testify to our spirit. You are the spirit of truth. Please illuminate it in our minds today for your glory alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Point number one, belief in God is how we draw near to him. Belief in God is how we draw near to him. And most, if not all of us, would probably like to be near God unless you've got some misconceptions about his character. But let's read Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and 6. Uh, again, just quickly, this is going to be a little bit different than most sermon series that we do here at Woodside. Usually we expositionally work our way through verse by verse uh, through a whole book at a time or a section of a book at a time. But as we're going to be working through the creed, kind of statement by statement, we're going to pick and choose some verses and pull them that really uh, put some bones to this creed. Hebrews 11, verse 1 and 6. Very popular verses, verses that you probably actually have memorized, but let's read them together. Now faith, this is our working definition. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Jumping ahead to verse 6. And without this, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Hallelujah. Right? The first reason that we believe, the first reason we have faith, the first reason that we want to try to align our life to the truth of the scripture is because this is the way we get close to God. Again, something that we would probably all want. And the writer in Hebrews here is, is doing this really laboriously, telling stories of people who have put their faith in God, trusted in God with their life. Right? Hebrews 11 is kind of commonly and affectionately called the hall of faith, Right, where you see these normal, ordinary folks who have done amazing things for God, by God, because they put their faith in him and he has done things with them. But he's also uh, offering the kind of protection for when things get hard to not let your faith go away. If, if you read on in the, in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, it talks about some difficult things that happen to people even because their faith, right? It says that, the, that this kind of faith, faith is the thing that uh, proves that they were too good for the world, but that comes on the heels of saying they were whipped and beaten and stoned and sawed in half. No amens for that. Because life's hard, right? So faith is important. It's not just a mental ascension that we make. It's not just something that I can agree with on paper and pass the test. It matters deeply. Belief in God is how we draw near to him. But how do we believe? It, it has to be through faith. Faith is the reason that we can believe. It is the means by which we know God. It is the orientation of our life 
with trust on the word or promise of someone else to deliver us something that we long to possess, right? It is us believing on the word or promise of someone else to get something that we want, something that we long to possess. This is really the core of what faith is. And with a pared down definition like that, trying to use non-Christian language, we find that people everywhere have faith, right? Everybody's got faith in someone or something. Some people put their faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and we say, hallelujah, you're our brothers and sisters. A lot of people put faith in their credit cards. A lot of people put faith in the system they live in, the neighborhood they live in. A lot of people put faith in the New York Stock Exchange. Again, no amens. That's good. We're, we're really tracking in the right direction here. You have to excuse me. I traveled to North Carolina this week and brought a cold back. People have faith all over the place. Everyone has a faith of some kind. For us today, <coughs> excuse me, where is our faith going to be found? And what is our faith going to lead us to? Verse 6, the writer talks about this faith. Excuse me, and what this faith will do for us. It should want us, it should cause us to want to draw near to God. To want to seek him. To want to know him more. To see that there's this reward that comes from drawing near to him. To believe in the existence of God. Even just belief requires faith. Why? The Bible doesn't hide it. It's hard to believe. Right? I, I, I grew up, I spent my middle school years in a suburb of St. Louis. St. Louis uh, lands in Missouri. Anybody know the motto of the state of Missouri? Show me state, right? Uh, I, I'll believe it when I see it. Now, the Bible even says that, that Jesus Christ in Colossians chapter 1, Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, right? John says that no one has seen God. In chapter 4 of John's gospel, he says, God is a spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth, right? So how can we believe in something we cannot see, especially when we're such visible and tangible people with so many different things in our lives? So you've got to actually pull on your faith, draw on your faith to even acknowledge that God really exists. So many of us just grew up in a faith tradition, and hallelujah for that. I'm grateful. It's one of the ordinary means of grace. Parents teaching their children about Jesus Christ, their Savior. It's one of the primary ways that we receive grace. But have we ever made this decision for ourselves, truly? There's a big difference between knowing something and believing something. Knowing the truth about God. I can say, I can pass the test, right? I can give you ontological and apologetical evidence that God is real and here's why. And even cosmological data that if the earth were spinning at even a degree faster or slower, everything would have fallen off its, its, its axis. And clearly there's intelligent design and blah, blah, blah. I'm not here to bore you with that stuff, right? I'm here to talk to our hearts today because I fall into this trap so regularly. I can put a lot of stuff in my head, making its way to my heart. That's one of the furthest journeys that anything can make. And I think a lot of us are like this. But consider this reality, right? Like, if you're going to put your faith in something, you have to actually believe that there's something there for you to get at some point, right? Like, I don't really know how credit cards work. But, like, I know when I put it in the gas pump, I have gas in my car. Now, I'm not sure exactly how all that happened or even if it's real money or, what, or if this is the matrix or what's going on. I, I don't know all of it, right? I, but I don't necessarily need to know all of it because I have faith that if I do this, this then happens. And the thing that I want, I'm going to possess. How often do we take that into our relationship with God? Is the thing that we want just an eternity in heaven? I love what Corey said. That was, that was so awesome how heaven was like daunting to him as a child. <laughs> like 10,000 years, he's like, that's a long time. Like, what am I going to do for that long, you know? Jesus is the treasure, he said. That was beautiful. I wanted to quote him with that. But if we believe truly and not just 
know or think we know. Wouldn't that change, like, I don't know, everything? Like everything about what we think, how we act, how we live, what we say. Knowing that there's an ultimate, supreme creator being who loves us, wants us, knows us, sees everything we do, hears every word we say, sees when we maybe discipline our children too harshly, sees when we do things that some kids wanted to say amen there. I saw it in your eyes. You're like, that's right. Come on, preacher. It's the first time I got excited in a while, <laughs> right? But it would change how we live. But instead, I, I think many of us, and yes, I say us on purpose, even us in this room, that we live like God doesn't exist. We live like Jesus died on the cross and he saved me from my sins and I'm going to heaven one day. And he created the world and evolution's not real, right? Like that's, that's so commonly what I hear of people's Christian experience. And I'm like, there's just like way, way more than that. But we live as functional atheists, right? That our faith in God comes when our faith in everything else has been proven false. That my faith in God comes when my bank account's empty. Or my faith in God comes when all my friends have left me. My faith in God comes when I've gone through the deepest and darkest tragedy of my life and everything else that I've propped my life up upon has crumbled down. And I thank God that he gives us those difficulties. I praise him for trial. I praise him for tragedy. I don't know about you, but in my life, until I got to the worst of the worst, that was when I started looking up and saying, thank you, God, that you are real and rescued me. But so commonly, we fall into this trap, like the Romans did in chapter 1, of suppressing the truth, like the Israelites did in 2 Kings chapter 17, when they went after false idols, and then they themselves became false. This is what happens with our faith when it's not put in God rightly. It doesn't cause us to draw near to him because we don't want him to mess our life up, right? We don't want God to get involved in my business because I've got a pretty good life going for myself. I've got this job and my garage, my kids, the, the dog that, I don't know if the dog qualifies as a good life, right? Like, what does it really do for you? I don't know. I'm just not really a dog person. Amen. I was expecting booze, actually. So hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Belief in God is how we First and, foremost, first and foremost, draw near to him. You can't just think about God and draw near to him. You have to believe he's there. You have to believe not just that he exists, and this leads into our second point, a vitally important thing is not just existence, right? Not just that God is real and there, and I put the right answer on the test, but that I understand things about him, that I understand attributes about God, I understand character traits of God, because I wouldn't want to draw near to something that I don't know anything about, right? But I want to draw near to God. Why? Because I understand him at the level that he's given me to understand him. And this is why we thank God for the Bible, right? Point number two, it just talks about the Bible, that belief in God is how we understand him. This is the primary gift that God has given us to understand him. And I thank him for his word, that his word is context proof. His word is uh, chronology proof, right? So many times I hear people saying like, well, the context in the Bible in the first century wouldn't allow this to be true today. I'm like, no, it's still true. Context changes, but the Bible doesn't, right? The Bible is true all the time. Hallelujah. I'm so grateful for the word of God because it tells us things about itself and about God himself. You know, point number two, it has a number of scriptures attached to it. All scriptures that if you've been in church for a while, you'll recognize, but I'm not going to go, I'm not going to ask us to turn in each one of them. The first one, 2 Timothy 3, very common scripture, right? It says that the word of God is what? Breathed out by God. All scriptures breathed out by God. That means inspired by the Holy Spirit, and it's good. Good for a bunch of stuff. Teaching, correction, reproof, rebuke, so that then the man of God can be complete, 
full, equipped for every good work. Deuteronomy 6 is the Shema, something that was repeated day after day, moment after moment in the life of, of God's people, the Israelites, where they said, the Lord, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, meaning he's not divided. He's, he can't be broke up. He is one. And then Jesus says in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, where he says, Go, go and do all this. Bap- teach, baptize, teach people to obey what I've commanded, and do it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he gives this beautiful like protection. Why? Why should you go do this? Because I'm going to be with you. That's why. Because I'm going to be here with you. So belief in God is how we draw near to him, but belief in God is also how we understand him. And giving us the scriptures, it's such a beautiful gift that God has given to his people. And I know that there's a bunch of argument about the scriptures. And, and I feel like maybe it's ramped up. I feel like it's maybe a little hotter than it has been before about the validity of the Bible or the historicity of the Bible or the ontological proof that the Bible got here, how we say it got here and all these other big words. But ultimately, knowledge about the Bible is not simply going to translate into us believing it without faith. You have to have faith. We have to have faith. And faith is a gift that comes from God as well. To believe that this is God-breathed, fully inspired, that this tells us about how to live life more abundantly, that this shows us who God is and what his character is like, that he's not just going to throw me away when I make a mistake, that he's going to continue to come back to me as his people, as his son. He's going to continue to grant me grace and show me love and show me favor even through trial and tragedy and difficulty. We learn all that in the Bible. Now, you may have some actual evidence evidence in your life, right? Your testimony may say these things as well, but this is where you first learn it, right? And this is why the Apostles' Creed was important to the early church, because this wasn't as ubiquitous as it is today. You can get a a copy of the Bible almost everywhere in the world today. Some places it's not allowed, but other places you, you, you can just grab, you can grab a hold of it. It's in the Bible that God most plainly reveals who he is, tells us about this deep, profound mystery of the Trinity, right? That God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have coexisted co-equally, co-eternally in eternity past and in eternity future, and they are three persons in one unique nature and essence. Now, how can you understand that? Right? How many of you ever tried to explain the Trinity to someone? Right? You use the apple illustration, right? How many of you have used that? And you're like, it's an apple with the skin, and you're thinking, you're like, that. this is not the Trinity of God, right? Like, I'm doing the best I can. How do you even understand something like this? Faith! Faith in God that he's given himself to us. We've drawn near to him by faith. He's given us this beautiful, blessed gift, and it's the essential key, faith and understanding, right? John Calvin talked about this uh, as he was training people about, if you don't have faith, I'm asking you to go get understanding. And if you don't have understanding, I'm asking you to have faith. And that's how it works together, that when you have faith, God wants to teach it to you. He's going to grant you the understanding. And I've got this, um, this kind of moniker I use internally that when I read something in the scriptures, I just say, thank you, God show me more, right? If you want to show me something else, show me something else. And it's amazing how when you ask for it, he'll unlock more of himself to you. Not like secret Gnostic truth or anything like that. I'm not getting too mystical up on you, know, on you today. But if you just invite God to show you more, he's going to because he wants to. He wants to be near you. He wants you to draw near to him. He wants to be as understood as you, a finite person, can understand his infinite existence and character. And that is such a blessing. I think so many of us get hung up, and I know I do, right? I get hung up about not knowing everything, right? About not having all the answers or having all the details. Any parents want to give a big amen, right? Like, what do I do with these people? They're my children. Like, how do I, how do I not ruin them, you know? 
But I get hung up on that all the time. But I think stuff like that happens a lot, right? And, and we don't tend to make too much of a fuss about it. It seems like our faith in God is one of the places that we make the biggest fuss about it. About, well, like, I don't know all the answers. Like, again, I, I flew to North Carolina and back to this past week, and um, I didn't ask the pilot any questions. I just got on the plane. I'm like, this stranger is going to bring me tens of thousands of feet in the air at hundreds of miles an hour, and I'm just going to get home. Yeah, take my money, <laughs> right? Like, that requires a lot of faith, right? That you wouldn't do that in any other uh, circumstance. But because we've seen this happen, right, we have uh, the, the basic truth that you are far more likely to die in a car accident than you are a plane crash, right? I'm like, yeah, I guess I'll take my chances. One in 11 million, I think, is what it is. So you can fly every day for like 1,400 days and not get in a plane crash, something like that. I'm not advocating for airline travel. I get no perks for that. I just had security training this week, and that's, that's what I came home with. <laughs> but we trust stuff all the time with deep, deep faith without necessarily having all the answers. How many of you are married? You're laughing already. This is not a joke. This is a real <laughs> theologically sound illustration. <laughs> it's one of the most beautiful measures of faith that God's given us. I didn't know everything about my wife the day I married her. And had I known everything about her, I would have married her sooner. You thought I was going to go a different direction, didn't you? <laughs> I, I would have married her sooner, right? But even today, I don't know everything about my wife. I don't need to. Why? Because God has granted faith that she's going to continue to love me, that she's not going to leave me. It's the same thing with children and parents, right? My kids are afraid of the dark until I'm there. And then, poof, they're not afraid anymore. Because there's faith in me. They don't know everything about me. If they did, there's no way they'd listen to me. <laughs> They'd be like, yeah, okay, Dad, right? You've got the answers. Like, remember 1999? I'm like, don't break it up, you know? Think about, like, just so many simple things. How many of you have ever been to Albania? Anybody? How many of you believe Albania is real? Oh, hold on. How do you know? You haven't been there, right? So when we think about this, the simplicity of faith that, that really permeates every reality of our life, we have to take that in a very simple view onto a very complex God and really try to begin to understand what do our lives really mean? Like how are our lives really made up? To understand who God is, to draw near to God, to want to draw near to God, we have to come with faith to his word. Not just with the right answers, not just with knowledge, not just with uh, different truths that we might think are true to us. That if we don't believe the Bible... Or, or believe God's revelation of himself in the Bible. This is self-disclosure. It's like an autobiography of God's character, right? It's not written about us, but it's written to us. Or not written about us to us, but it's written for us. We can't truly know God if we, if we separate the scriptures from who he is. This is the greatest self-revelation he's given to humanity. And I know it's hard, right? But you, just, you need to be freed from this. You're not obligated to know absolutely everything about every passage in order to believe and have faith that it's true. You're not obligated to seek and know every single thing there is to know about God and be smarter than the person next to you or the smarter than the people in front of you or behind you to faithfully follow the Lord with all of your life. Why? Because we've seen people for generations and generations and generations do it. We see it in Hebrews chapter 11, and so commonly I know this. I know this because I've lived this, right? We don't think they're even real people, right? When God talks about, when the writer of Hebrews talks about Moses, he talks about Noah, he talks about all these amazing heroes of the faith, and we're like, ah, that's them. It's the same faith. The same exact faith that they had in the same exact God is how he used them to do exploits for his glory. That's us. 
That's our life. And we can believe that when we see it in the scriptures. We can believe that when we draw near to him. But I think kind of lastly and, and most importantly, as we're building the faith, the, the case for why faith is essential, we need faith to draw near to God, right? Not, not, I mean, faith that he exists for sure, right? That's what the word says in chap, chapter 11, verse 6 of Hebrews. But, but faith about him too. I know a lot about a lot of stuff, and I, that does not mean I want to be near it, right? And I think that most of the time when people don't want to be near God, it's just because they don't know who he really is. It's because they have some sort of con- conception of like this taskmaster in the sky or, right, he's playing checkers with the devil like with Job's life or something. And we, we get these ideas or if he's all good, how could bad things happen? Or if he's not bad, why do bad things happen? This is so important for us. And again, it, it may sound like way too simple and remedial for experienced, mature Christians such as yourselves at Woodside Bible Church in Farmington Hills. But I think that's exactly why we need to pay attention. Because so commonly we get so smart that then we start doing dumb stuff, right? We, we get so smart that when we start making dumb choices. And I think God's like, no, it's, it's really just this simple. Simple faith leads to amazing exploits for him. And I think, again, this is the most important part. Yeah, we need to know him. We need to understand him. We want to draw near to him. And by no means am I trying to say, and this is recorded, by no means am I trying to say, don't read your Bible, right? Don't study the scriptures. Don't learn from generations past. Don't get discipled by somebody and then disciple someone else. I'm going to repeat that. Get discipled by somebody and then repeat and then disciple someone else. If you're not being discipled right now, Friend, brother, you are not, you're missing out on the fullness of the Christian faith. If you're not discipling somebody else, you're missing out on the fullness of the Christian faith. Like, don't, don't get rid of all that stuff. But I think this is where we attach fact to feeling. And I know when you hear a preacher say feeling, usually they're bashing feelings, right? They're usually they're like, your feelings don't make God real or fake or anything like that. But I think if you just have a God that factually exists, but you don't feel him, or have feelings about him, you don't have this God. You don't have the God, my father, right? You don't have God as your father. Point number three, belief in God is how we enjoy him. God wants us to enjoy him. Now, again, this is, uh, I think, probably the most important point of the message, and definitely the one that means the most to me. Um, when I got saved, Hebrews eleven six was the first verse I memorized. And, and not because I thought it was a good one. <laughs> it was the one that just really stuck out to me. Because I could not imagine how this God who was all-controlling, all-powerful, omniscient, omnipresent, actually wanted to give me rewards. Actually saw me, knew everything about me, and wanted to do something good for me. Let's read it. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. This is so important. When I, when I first uh, memorized this, it was in the New King James Version. It says, and he rewards those who diligently seek him, right? That there must be this heart's desire of like, I want to get close to God. I want to know who he is. And I want to do that not just selfishly, but because he's going to grant rewards when I get close to him. Because he's a good father, because he's a loving provider, because he's merciful. And if all this stuff in the scriptures are true about who God says he is to humanity, this is the kind of God that I want to be near. This is the kind of God that I want to be close to. 
This is the kind of God that is not going to throw me away after one mistake or a thousand mistakes or 10,000 mistakes, but he's going to keep me around because he loves me, because he's covenanted to me. Why? Not because of me and my good works, but because of Jesus, his son, that Jesus has paid the penalty that it grants me access. So commonly, we think that Jesus paid the penalty, paid for our sins on the cross. Why? So we can go to heaven. Yes. Hallelujah. I'm not here to tear down heaven, right? I'm not saying any of that, but like right now, God wants you. Right now, he wants to be in close proximity to you. He wants to be in access to you, and he wants you to enjoy him. It's not just a bunch of do's and don'ts, right? So commonly, people bash the Bible. They're like, it's just a bunch of things that we're not able to do. Like, no, it's actually all the things you're supposed to do and get to do with a few things that he says don't do, right? And it's been God's character since the beginning. Think about the garden. He didn't say, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. He said, all this is yours except that one thing. And what did they do? The same thing we've all done. That one thing. Sinned and fallen short. So, so in this statement of God rewarding those who diligently seek him, we're taken to this fundamental posture about God, right? A positive posture about God and who he truly is. That he's good. That God inherently is good. How many of you ever had something bad happen to you and wondered why didn't this good God stop it? This is where kind of the rubber meets the road, right? That it's easy to say, yeah, there's cosmological evidence that intelligent design is real. And I didn't come from some primordial slime. We can all get there and say yes. Or most of us can. I don't want to speak for you. But I'd love to talk to you after service if not. That he's real. He is who he says he is. I want to be close to him. I understand things about him. I grow and read the Bible and come to Bible studies and, you know, get to know more stuff about him. And I do the right things and, you know, I cut people off less in traffic and I show up early for church or, I don't know what that is, all good. Um, <laughs> or like the service host doesn't have to tell me to come into service after it's already started. I got you. Uh, but that there's enjoyment to be had the best kind of enjoyment to be had. And not just when you get the good stuff, but truly enjoying God. Because God loves you. And we hear that a lot, right? Like how many times has a preacher stood up and said, God loves you? More than you can count. Now, I don't know that I've ever experienced this, but how many times has a preacher ever stood up and said, God likes you? Like God like really likes you too. Like he wants to be close to you. He wants you to draw near to him. He's not disgusted by the, the sinful act that you've committed. He knows it already, but if you're found in Christ Jesus, if you've put your faith, hope, and trust in your life in Christ as your Lord, as your Savior, as the one who takes the filthy rags that you have and clothes you in righteousness, God's like, yeah, come on. I love you. I like you. I want you. I want to be near you. I did all this stuff actually for you. It's for me, but it's for you. This is where we've got to get as a people. That belief in God is how we should enjoy him. What's the reward for this faith? That God will reward those who diligently seek him. What is the reward? Is it health, wealth, and happiness? Maybe. Right? That happens in some people's lives. Is it sin and toil and pain and difficulty? Yeah. We work by the sweat of our brow, right? That was part of the curse. We know that. But ultimately, the reward is one thing. It's the object of our faith. We put our faith in God and he gives us himself. 
what better gifts can you get? Think about the closest relationships in your life. Do you love people for who they are or what they can do for you? Don't answer that because if it's somebody next to you, like, you're going to need counseling after church, right? But the greatest gift God could give us is himself. Saying, I actually love you, I like you, I want to be near you, and here I am for you. A father who owns the cattle upon a thousand hill. A father who loves you deeply and immeasurably. A father who controls all things. A father who, yes, will even discipline you, but it's for your good. That's what we get from faith. Not just stuff up here, but stuff in here that leads us into wherever we go. School, work, your neighborhood, your house, family, whatever. As Michigan State loses tonight, right? You're going to need faith. That one wasn't a joke. Everybody's laughing, though. Think, think about it. Like, as God reveals himself, 2 Corinthians 16 talks about it. What is God doing? It says he's, like, scanning the earth, searching to and fro for somebody to give strong support to whose heart is blameless toward him, who, like, wants to be with him. He's like, oh, yeah, I want to support you. Think about 1 John 5, right? What does it say? How do you overcome the world? Can anyone overcome the world without faith in Jesus Christ is basically what 1 John 5, 4 and 5 says. That's how you overcome the world. That's how you overcome trial and difficulty and tragedy is that we can actually enjoy God. I don't know about you, and I'm a guest preacher, so I can't get in too much trouble with you guys. I'll maybe see you again in another few months, right? But isn't like a curmudgeon Christian like one of the worst things? Right, when you run into somebody and you're like, man, you've just been in the church for so long and you know all the right answers and I feel like you hate me. But that is so commonly the witness, like, and I'm, I'm going to just go there a little bit. Like, the world has a lot of bad things to say about the church, right? They're mostly right. That's why they're saying it, because they've seen it and experienced it. It's, all, it's not all just some caricature. Now, not the church, right? The true church of Jesus Christ, everybody that is in his body, right? We are holy and blameless and being made that way for him. Hallelujah. But I'm not talking about Christianity. I'm talking about Christendom, right? The thing we built. Not the thing he built. But we can walk out of this place with pure joy. Why? Because we believe in God. So we believe he is who he says he is because he wants us to draw near to him because he loves us and he likes us. And we take, a, we take so many things into our relationship with God that, that prohibit us from enjoying him, right? But we have an opportunity today to just ask and answer the question for ourselves, like, will I trust the Lord today? Will I walk out of here trusting the Lord today? Repenting of my own effort to try and do it on my own, repenting of the foolish faith that I've put in so many other things, right? And, and you could do that today. You can drop it today, right? I don't, I don't do this time, but like, you can drop it right now, literally. Like, you probably, some people, just by statistics, have stuff in your pockets that you have more faith in than you do God. Leave it at the altar today. Like, just drop it. Get rid of it. You can walk away from it today because if you have belief in God, he has gifted you faith, which gifts you the opportunity to really believe who he says he is, to want to draw near to him, want to be close to him, and not to come to him, like, shamefully, like, you're going to hit me or you're going to punish me. No, his arms are open, and we want to climb up on the throne of heaven with him, not to try to redirect the way things are going on the earth, but to sit on our father's lap where he says, son, daughter, I love you. It's going to be okay. Here's how we're going to be moving forward. Yeah, it's going to be hard for a minute, that you're going to be disciplined because sin has consequences, and I wouldn't be holy if I didn't do that, right? But I love you. I want you. I like you. Will you please just enjoy life with me? Can we just go have some fun, right? And I think that that's what God is like looking at his people, his children. He's like, man, why, why are all my family vacations so boring, right? Like, 
Why can't we just enjoy each other? Why can't we just have fun? This is what we're called into. Simply put, right, we, we can't get this reward of him or this eternal reward, this heavenly bliss, this, this ultimate satisfaction, this ultimate joy by any ability of our own. So why live decades of our life trying to do it that way only to come to our senses at the end and say, it's all been God all the time? Like, why not start right now? Wherever you are, however long it's been, some of you are living like that today, right? If you see somebody that's always smiling in here, right, ask them. Just ask them, why are you always smiling? I can't guarantee the answer is going to be Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, but you'll at least have a fun conversation, right? But we repent of our own attempts to earn and acquire this pleasure of God. He doesn't want you to do anything else for him. So the worship team is going to come back up and sing a song that we'll probably sing a few times over this series. It's called This I Believe, the Creed, and it, and it just affirms the, the statements of the creed. But I want us to just think today, again, how, how could something so simple of believing in God matter that much to me today? It just does, friend. Take my word for it. Take his word for it. Believing in the God who exists, believing in the God who's there, believing in the God who loves you, wants you, likes you, and, and wants to help you with whatever you're going through. He wants to, I promise. And it may hurt for a little bit, but just like everything that hurts for a little bit, ultimately healing comes and we say hallelujah. And some of us are in the middle of our hurt right now. But you can still enjoy God even in the midst of the pain. You can enjoy him because you know he's going to do something. You can enjoy him because you've seen it in Hebrews 11. You can enjoy him because just look to the right or to the left in your aisle and ask somebody, have you ever been through something that you didn't think you were going to make it out of? I bet the answer is yes. Because this is the God we serve so we can walk with enjoyment. It doesn't mean that we're not allowed to have bad feelings or we're not allowed to say like, oh, this is too hard for me. But it's just allowing us to say, you know what, whatever it is, God, I'm going to enjoy you. God, I'm going to give you praise. I'm going to give you worship and I promise that he's going to do something. Right? I don't know what he's going to do. I can't make guarantees on, on God's behalf for you here, but I can't make guarantees on the behalf of the scripture right? because we have it. It's a gift to us. So I pray that today as we have heard the word, as we've watched the evidence of transformation of life in children. Three kids got baptized at this church today. Hallelujah. Right? Like the, you can cheer if you want. They don't have to be the only ones whose lives were changed today. You can walk out of here and say, you know what? I've been following the Lord for 33 years, and today I'm going to start enjoying him. And he'll meet you in it. That I can promise, that he'll meet you in it. Say, God, I want to enjoy you. I want to love you. I want to enjoy you. Show me how. It may take a minute. It may take a decade. It may take your whole life. I don't know. But I know my God. I know my Father, and he wants to meet you that way. So let's pray together, and walk in this abundant life that belongs to us. Would you join me in standing as we pray and close in a song of worship? Father, we want to say thanks. Thanks so much that you love us. Thanks so much that you want us. Thanks so much that you've drawn us here, invited us into your presence, in the presence of your sons and daughters, many of our brothers and sisters, but everybody made in the image of God here. And I pray that you would just allow somebody to see the open-armed invitation of you into your family. Not just into heaven, but into your family right now. I know family has been hard for so many of us, God, but, but your family with a perfect father, a perfect son who's our elder brother and our savior is the place that we were all created to be. So I pray that you draw us in today. I pray that we would let go of the things that are, are killing us, that we would repent of the false faith 
uh, or the things that we put our faith in that are false that will ultimately make us false and will crumble one day. And I pray that we have the strength and courage to just let them go today, to drop them today and to know that belief in you, God, is what equips us to draw near to you. Belief in you, God, is how we can understand you and you've given us your scripture. And ultimately, God, belief in you is how we enjoy you. So I pray that you would just plant seeds of belief deep into our hearts, that we would be a people of joy, a people of celebration, a people of jubilation, because we have been set free from the curse of sin, because we know that we have a Father who loves us, wants us, likes us, wants to be around us, and we know that we can spread that news, that joy, that life with everyone around us, no matter who they are. We don't treat people nicely because they're Christian, we do it because we are. We don't share the gospel with people because we think they're to receive it we do it because we have received it so i pray that you would encourage us today ignite us today maybe even discipline some of us today that we would be made more like you in the image of your son so lord we love you we trust you we praise you we ask all this in jesus mighty mighty name amen and amen let's worship him together friends Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.